Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst. With me to discuss the government's ongoing attempts to protect people on the internet with the online safety bill are the Conservative former Culture Secretary, Baroness Nikki Morgan, along with Labour's Lord Wilf Stevenson, Shadow Spokesperson for Culture, Media and Sport, as well as Dr Michael Veal, Associate Professor of Digital Rights and Regulation at University College London. So I'll start with with you, Michael. Obviously, this idea of an online safety bill has been knocking around for quite a while now. The the first white paper was in back in 2019. We're still a way off from it being on the statute book. What what essentially was the idea behind it? What was it meant to cover that wasn't being covered by existing legislation? And who is going to be affected by it? You can go back much further than that, actually. Internet safety (laughs) green paper, a lot of the uncommenced provisions of the Digital Economy Act, you know, this is an area that many countries are grappling with because I think for, for a whole variety of reasons, regulation about content and platforms online had not been developing at the same time as a lot of the business models and practices have been developing online. And so there's a bit of catch up. It's exactly the same with things like data protection legislation. There's a lot of baggage, a lot of, kind of accumulated, even illegality at times that I think there's a lot of sweeping up happening in legislatures around the world. So the online safety bill is a form of platform regulation, and it is a uh, a development. We've had laws around regulating platforms since the late 90s uh, in many jurisdictions around where they're liable and where they're not. This is a step onwards for that that places effectively responsibilities of differing kinds on online services. Some might think of it, and it's been portrayed quite a lot in the media as a big tech bill, but actually on the government's own impact assessment, about 25,000 companies in the UK are in scope of this bill. Uh, But it places differing responsibilities to different levels. I think that the online safety bill is, it represents an interesting challenge because behind its, the discussions of what exactly should be illegal or legal or or, or prohibited or removed or de-emphasized or subject to reporting procedures and all these kind of things you can put on, There is a fundamental question of who should be responsible and through what mechanisms should we make online spaces enjoyable, safe places for people of many different backgrounds? How how do we do that? And there are different political visions. And I kind of want to just emphasize that that's not really brought out very much in these debates. Mm. Some people think that the Internet has got effectively too ambitious at trying to connect every person to every other person because of that's the way that the advertising business models work and companies like Facebook. And so how do we regulate these big spaces where everyone is designed to be interconnected? Other people, I think particularly in the digital rights movements, suggest that the internet is actually a bit of a better place where you have smaller communities and they might be doing some self-regulation in the same way you might have you know, regulation in a village. You know, people can know yeah. each other and, 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 and order that way. So it's really about the future of the internet and behind the online safety bill, a lot of these assumptions, and it would be great to dig into those because I think politics now in the UK is finally starting to get to grips with what kind of internet they want, because for a long time, and even I think during the drafting of this bill, it's been much more of a something bad is happening online, let's react, let's do something, let's have more or less of that. Whereas we need to get into a world we think, what future do we want and how is that internally coherent? for online spaces and online environments. Yeah, Nikki, as as Michael points out there, it's it's a huge kind of question. It's a huge issue to be trying to delve into with a piece of legislation that's always kind of evolving over time as well. You know, just speak to us, where are we now with this particular piece of, of legislation? Uh, it's passed through its stages in the House of Commons. That means MPs have kind of voted on it. It's now in the House of Lords, the upper chamber where, where you sit. Kind of where are we now with it? 
Well, as you say, I mean, I think we are debating quite a changed bill, which perhaps you know reflects the fact that the internet is changing all the time and the platforms are, are, are changing. And of course, it's a bill that's been subject to quite a lot of pauses because of the Conservative leadership election, for example, last uh, summer. But also, I think this is it's a difficult area to grapple with. I think Michael is, you know, right on, on many things, but two things I particularly picked out from what he said. One is that I think, as we've seen, certainly from debates in the House of Lords, perhaps it's not atypical, but I think the Commons too, the debates have not been party political. They have been much more about people's individual views of whether you can regulate or should regulate the internet or, or not. Secondly, he's right to say that we are beginning to grapple with how do we want this to work in the future. Undoubtedly, we, the, the UK government, but I think we're not the only ones around the world are playing catch up on these massive, very influential platforms. You saw the uh, the debates, I think, in Australia last year about whether the platform should pay for news content, for example, uh, that they have on their uh, on their platforms. Um, and there's many similar debates. Europe uh, is obviously got the Digital Economy Act. There, they're looking much more in terms through a competition lens about who owns a person's data and whether companies should be allowed to, to merge if that's what they wanted to do, given the dominance they have over uh, individual uh, uh, data. It, it's really as fascinating. Where we are now, as you say, the bill's been through the House of Commons with some substantial changes, the big one being the dropping of the so-called legal but harmful content regulation clauses. Yeah. And the government feel that they've put in some alternatives to that that still offer protection, but do treat legal content, which we would deem harmful, differently from illegal content. We had a very good debate on the 1st of February in the House of Lords, and I think a number of key issues came up there, key areas that the House of Lords want to push with ministers. I think overall, though, um, when all is said and done, most people want to get the legislation onto the books. It won't be perfect. Uh, as many people said, it's only the first step. We will be returning to this uh, subject over the years, no doubt. But it is a very important first step that these platforms and the internet companies realise they are now to be regulated. Mm. Lord Stevenson, obviously, Labour have been involved in obviously some of these amendments that have been changed in, in the Commons. There's, there's perhaps going to be some more amendments in the laws. What's your party's sort of position on the bill? Firstly, kind of Overall, is it what the problem is trying to tackle, but also on a sort of minutiae level, what are you looking to see if you can get altered before it does end up on the statute book? Well, as, as Nikki said, this is the first bill I've been involved in where there's so much agreement that we actually want this to get over the finishing line as quickly as we can. And we're just a little bit frustrated at the fact that it doesn't yet appear on the forward programme or anything, and there's still no indication of when we'll get to it. But, I, but, I, but we will get through, I think, this session. Uh, as also, as Nikki said, I, I, think, I think we're down to trying to see if we can improve what is already a pretty much agreed set of proposals. Instantly, you mentioned the debates in the Commons. I think my colleagues in the Commons were absolutely clear that we supported the bill and we do want to help, but that, that is not uncritical. I mean, the, the good thing about Lord scrutiny is that we will delve deep into this bill that in the way the Commons haven't, and we'll put a number of things that we want to tease out and hopefully improve it. Michael is absolutely right to say, you know, it, shot, it throws into very sharp relief. What do we want out of this new technology? He hasn't told us what the answer is, and I don't think we've got it either. But as Nikki has said, I, I think we should reasonably assume this is the first of a number of different bills of, for focusing on different things like competition, but also uh, more detailed questions about what does constitute illegal behaviour on, online and how much does it differ from what happens offline. These things yeah. aren't resolved in the bill, but it gives us a framework to come back to it in future stages, I think. 
Michael, I'll come back to you in a second to find out if you if you do have the answers uh, to how we fix the internet after all. But but Nikki, just on specific amendments, I know you've you've been pushing for one for social media platforms to be required to follow regulatory guidelines protecting women and girls, specifically from online uh, abuse. You also got some cross party support for that. Do you think that's likely to to make its way onto the bill? Well, I never like to second guess what governments uh, ministers are going to, to do, having having been there. But there will be uh, a uh, a bill handling strategy uh, that's been put together by the department. I mean, that's one of the things, of course, is that even in the course of this bill having been started to be debated in the House of Lords, and now we've had a reshuffle or, or a breakup of government departments, if you like, and the mm. bill has moved with Secretary of State Michelle Donlan to this new Science, Innovation, Technology Department. But the uh, Lords Minister, Lord Parkinson, who remains at Culture, Media and Sport, he is going to carry on with the bill, because obviously he knows an awful lot about it. Yes, I mean, one of the decisions I took as culture secretary was that Ofcom should be the regulator. They regulate, obviously, uh, broadcasting, amongst other things, and telecoms companies. So I felt they were right. And the amendment I've tabled um, would require Ofcom to provide or produce a code of practice that the platforms and and, uh, uh, the the particular sort of uh, large uh, tech platforms will be required to to follow, basically, and to think about. And, you know, unfortunately, we know that women and girls are 27 times more likely to be harassed online than men. And I think it's completely wrong. In the same way we have debates about safe spaces for women offline, women and girls, you know, we, we should not as a society accept Uh, that there are platforms that are not taking action and equally, even when they're designing their services, are not thinking about how they keep women and girls safe. So the government's been very clear. They want to tackle violence against women and girls. They've come up with some specific offences, cyber flashing, uh, for example, or coercive controlling behaviour that they say will do this. I think it's about more than specific offences, though. It's about the whole holistic nature of these platforms and keeping women and girls safe. Michael, yeah, just just kind of on that, do you think the government is getting it right I suppose not just in terms of the specific creating specific offences but creating a sort of a culture and a set of principles by which to decide what behaviour is acceptable and and what can be said online. I think there's a few things to say about that. One of them is that the online safety bill implies a particular kind of future for the internet that I don't think is settled and I'm not sure is desirable. And that's where we remain with several very large companies, largely out of the jurisdiction, which are making an extraordinary surplus out of largely illegal online tracking uh, and so on, which which is being dealt with in another area of the law. And this gigantic surplus is then being sort of repurposed uh, towards content moderation through largely, if you look today, how a lot of platforms like Meta and so on work, through outsourcing decisions to effectively decision and content moderation factories, particularly in the global south, where workers are looking at pieces of content, some of which are very, very disturbing and very, very harmful to them psychologically for under $2 an hour. Then the extra kind of added part to that is adding sort of AI systems on top of this, which are are sold to detect things. But really, I mean, most of my colleagues in in academia studying this uh, have really no uh, confidence or, or belief that the companies selling these kind of safety tech or detection tools are really telling the truth about the false positive and false negative and accuracy rates of their technologies. And there's a lot of magical thinking about their possibilities. And why I say that is it sees a world where big platforms have to remain big, have to remain largely out of jurisdiction, I think, earning huge amounts of money that we can repurpose to certain kinds of moderation. And that I don't think is sustainable on a global scale. I'm not sure that that is a a very good geopolitical place to be. I'm not sure that's a very good um, 
place, especially for things like small languages, small countries, and so on. They have no say in this. They have no ability to to um, to interact with these these systems. So I guess you know, it's it's all well and good looking at it from an English language country in the current economic situation of how platforms work online. But I, and I think that's where, where, as Nikki said, this is just going to be one of a, a several iterations of of, um, of, of of developments over time. But I'm a bit worried about that. That's what keeps me up at night, that we are baking in a very unsustainable path for the internet and not leaving enough space and thinking, hmm, maybe actually some of the dynamics that we're seeing are because we are trying to make these huge platforms interconnecting everybody at one time. And maybe there are other ways to govern online spaces that we can draw inspiration from. That's not to say you don't put responsibility uh, of very many kinds at the hands of organizations making a lot of money out of this. But it's, it, I don't think it should be the way that we see we govern the Internet. It should be just one of the modes. Uh, I'm a bit worried we're focusing too much on that one. And we don't have the political vision for where we're heading and what other aspects we'd like to be, mm. as we said, around competition law and so on. I mean, that's in the EU, the Digital Services Act, which is their equivalent of the, of the online safety bill, was proposed on the same day as the Digital Markets Act. Their attention, uh, they, they, one of them says maybe be less big, and one of them says we need you to be big in order to moderate, but we need to kind of grapple with that balance politically and explicitly. Nikki made the point that, that we've got a now a new department which is looking at, at this digital area. Um, yeah. it's, it's, in some senses, it's a good thing. In some, things, some senses, I think she, she mentioned there's a bit of a a bit of a spanner in the works at the moment. But one the one thing it should do is is focus again on competition because we're waiting we've been waiting now for almost two years for a digital markets unit bill that will deal with the, the powers that are needed to sort out some of the problems, not all of them, that Michael's been talking about. And I hope very much that this new department, DIST, will be able to have the, the power to be able to get on with that and bring that bill forward. Because without that, we will not be able to, to do the other half of this job that's required to, to moderate the internet and to shape its future, which is making sure that competition is not go the way that it is at the moment of where these big big giants are gobbling up even quite quite important and, and, and useful local companies. Michael said there were 25,000 companies in scope to that, and a lot of those are very small. But it's very interesting to wait to see the way that some of the big ones have gone and been gobbled up and gone already. So we, we can't wait on this. Mm. Yeah, Michael, you talked about kind of, I suppose, unintended consequences in, in some in some senses of trying to look at it with a particular focus and not understanding the, the, the wider context of it. As I mentioned to, to Nikki, Rishi Sunak backed down on a, a rebellion by Tory MPs about making uh, tech bosses criminally liable if they their platforms persistently fail to protect children from harm online. But there's a feeling that perhaps extending senior management liability for a breach of child safety duties could result in sort of fewer online services being made available to children or some choosing to pull out of the UK market altogether and, and perhaps even people who run small servers, small social media platforms or, or host multiplayer games, they could end up sort of two years in prison for not moderating stuff properly. What have you kind of made of that as, as a changing that we need to limit the scope in, in that sense? In our system, particularly the kind of Crown Prosecution Service and so on, there are lots of safety valves that stop total disproportionate prosecution. However, what there aren't is there aren't safety valves that stop a total emergence of a, of a kind of bonkers compliance culture. Mm. And so I think what I mean by that is when we look at data protection, when uh, the general data protection regulation became enforceable in 2018, just before that, you really had whole cadres of of nonsense data protection compliance people telling schools they couldn't write names on whiteboards and telling companies they couldn't do this and that, whereas it's actually a very permissive regime. It's just that companies got very, very risk averse when they were faced with these big fines and started to just clog up their entire processes with things that were not, you know, what they were doing could have been perfectly legalized very easily, but they believed that they had to 
to shut down. Now, that's not the same for sort of big companies tracking and surveying people across the whole internet. They haven't been tackled by the regulator. But similarly, when you look at the companies in scope, particularly on the children aspect of the online safety bill, there is a huge ripple effect on companies that may have to put in age assurance or age verification systems because they do not believe that they can confidently say with the way the bill is written that they are outside of the scope of having to, to do that. And this will, I think, create a really big set of risks where small companies just find it completely... Un I do not want to set up in the UK or even block. We saw blocks for data protection law as well from the UK websites, particularly from US companies. You know, I, I don't know if this is really proportionate. You know, I, I think there are proportionate discussions around what big platforms do around children access and what sites to have you know, uh, pornography or, or similar kinds of, of content as a business model do. But there are a huge long tail of sites where I think the balance needs to be done very carefully because otherwise what will happen is companies will say, well, I guess this law means that we have to do something like AgeGate, but we're not really very interested in the UK market and we'll, we'll pull out, we won't base our small organisation there to start with. I think that's a worry, even if the law is drafted so that they don't have to do it, you know, even if the law is drafted very carefully in that area, which I don't think it is right now, there is a gigantic gap between what, how the law is drafted and how risk-averse companies act in faith, yeah. faced in reality. It's sort of a, chill, a chilling effect, right? Yeah, a chilling effect. And it will be, there will be so many consultants that will be emerging trying to sell age verification, age assurance tools. Incidentally, most, a lot of these tools, for example, some of the main tools here are made by MindGeek, who also owns Pornhub. So they actually win on both sides of this equation. A lot of companies are preparing for this compliance mm. goldmine that they're going to win. And we have to be very careful around that. It's like a smoking company also selling nicotine patches as well. You know, they're sort of, they get you, they get you exactly. either way. Pornography, Nikki, is one of the key issues of it, you know, that saying that they'll have to have these robust processes, you know, but it's obviously that is going to come down to vetted by Ofcom. You obviously, you, you talked before when you were called about putting Ofcom in charge. Fears, does, does Ofcom, do you think, have the bandwidth and the resources to cover what is now essentially going to be a much larger remit for them to have to, to cover? So I think the short answer to your question is yes. I mean, they have staffed up appropriately and I'm sure that they will continue to uh, to do so. And uh, uh, many doors, the, the, the chief executive and her staff are absolutely ready for, for, for the challenges. In fact, they've been ready for a long time. And that's one of the things the bill's taken such a long time to, to get to where it is and for them to really be able to get on with what they what they need to to, to do, I think you know fascinating the, the issues around uh, age verification for online pornography were a big topic uh, of debate with a lot of consensus that we, we need the rules and we need them quickly. Uh, the trouble with the previous Digital Economy Act provisions was that actually they didn't uh, include social media, which just shows how quickly technology is changing. And yet, I think it was said in the debate that that most children under age will access online pornography via Twitter, for for example. But can I just pick up something else that Michael was just saying? Because, I mean, it's a good point about, you know, companies being on both sides, on the one hand, coming up with perhaps tools to protect, but also perhaps also providing the platforms for content that we might discuss, you know, consider to be harmful or, or, or undesirable. You know, I would just say to, to Michael that at the beginning, he rightly said politicians and politics has now got to think about the kind of Internet that we want. And I think actually we are doing that with this bill. I think there are certain things and things like senior management liability. My take on it would be that if a company decides that the UK is an unattractive place to be because they might have liability for not safeguarding, uh, particularly the young, against harmful content, then my question back is, do we want that company in the UK? 
we want tech companies obviously going to be uh, innovative. Uh, we want to uh, support those companies. But equally, I think we have got to make a stand now, whether we're talking about, you know, companies that pollute our rivers, whether we're talking about companies that encourage underage people to, to smoke or to vape, you know, whether we're talking about protecting the young in, in other ways. I think we are, as a country, taking a stand now. The, the one problem with all of this, and Michael has identified it, is that there are these big companies, many of whom started on the West Coast of America, and yet it's America that is most definitely not leading the world. They are having in many states the debate about regulating content and platforms and everything else. But the American government, even with someone like Joe Biden in charge, and he did in his State of the Union speech very recently, talk about protecting children online. But I think they are a long way from coming up with legislation. Uh, and so that is a problem with these big multi-jurisdictional companies. And the UK can only do so much in terms of regulating what happens in the UK and what's seen in the UK. Mm. Well, there's been a lot of focus on child safety. You think that perhaps there's been too much focus on that in terms of the bill, as we've been discussing. Obviously, it speaks to a much broader set of issues and set of principles about how we govern the internet in total. Do you think we're maybe a bit down a cul-de-sac around child safety, which, while incredibly important, obviously could have these further consequences down the line? No, I think you're entirely wrong about that. Okay. Uh, children have to come first. Children um, need, as Michael said, to have the experience and the, and the benefits of the internet, but they must not be given material that, that is inappropriate or illegal just simply because the system is so open and so porous that they can find it using skills of a, six, a five or six-year-old, which are, of course, much greater than any of us on this call today. Sorry, Michael. Yeah. No, you're, on, you're not younger than we are, but even so. Having said that, the, the, exactly the point that Michael's making about what are we trying to see come out of this in, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time is very well brought out by the recent swerve by the government when it took away this uh, legal but harmful uh, set of proposals for you know, a very significant part of the bill. I mean, so late in the day, so close to the point at which it was going through the Commons, they suddenly yeah. took out a third of the bill. They not only took out a third of the, of the, of the regulations and, and matters that Ofcom should be concerned with, but they actually made it worse by making it very difficult for uh, Ofcom to do the job it needs to do about assessing whether or not the companies who now have that responsibility are behaving properly in terms of their terms of service. But if we're going to rely on companies to do the sort of policing, the moderation that Michael was talking about under these terrible circumstances that he described, we've got to be sure that somebody is checking whether or not the outcomes are indeed fair. That includes children, but also includes vulnerable adults, includes the fact that the internet, as Nikki has said, is very heavily biased against women. And we need to think very hard about how we deal with that and how that and our supporter and what she's doing on that. But this question about terms of service, how are they organised? Are there going to be minimum standards there? And how do we take that forward? R run straight into the freedom of expression lobby who feel that you cannot put anything, any constraints on any material because if it were the village square, you would be able to say these things and you would not be shut down for that. But it's different in the, in the internet because of the amplification, because of the piling on. If you look at the terrible things that happen to, to young children who commit suicide, and we're talking about Molly Russell only the other day, then you need to think very hard about the sort of society that is being created by that culture. And we must make sure that Ofcom have the, the tools to do that. How we do that will be a point of big debate in the Lords, I think, and we will be putting down amendments along that. And I hope we'll get support from around the House on that because it needs to be addressed. On this issue, I want to also raise something, and it relates to child safety, it relates to a lot of these content that I don't think has been debated enough. And in the bill, they're called Section 104 notices. These are effectively means in which, by which Ofcom can order the uh, installation or the creation of technology that can 
scan private messages that are one-to-one that are not being amplified. Uh, they're very similar to something we have in investigatory powers related to technical capability notices, and they have oversight from judicial commissioners and so on. They're very, very invasive, and they are also potentially something that can be built on in many different countries. We've seen desires for political censorship, to break encryption, to work out what people are sending. People are sending political memes during a protest and these kind of things. These are the same technologies. They're effectively, they're, they're ways of having your device look at the images or even analyze the text that you're writing and flag it if it meets some threshold of suspicion. One thing I want to say about these that is a really dangerous thing at the moment is we have an environment, an investment environment for AI businesses and tech businesses where they are designed to hype up their technology as much as possible to say it can do, it can fly to the moon if you want it to, it can do everything. The technologies we have that can scan for images that we have never seen before or can scan for text that we have never seen before and identify what's going on here are very, very poor. They are very flaky. They fail a lot of the time. And we have to be very careful to avoid magical thinking here because I think there's a real danger that as people push very important uh, child safety agendas, which both are things that happen directly to children and people discuss content being sent about children uh, across private messaging, group messaging, both small and large platforms, we have to be careful not to lose two things. We have to be careful not to lose sight of being critical with the technology because there's this is a very emotionally charged area and people want technologies that you can press a button and fix horrific social things that happen in our world. But that button does not exist. So we have to be careful to look at this button and say, what does this button really do? You know, what are these magical AI technologies we're being sold? Are they good or bad? Uh, do they function or not ultimately? And I think we also have to look at the broader landscape of what we're calling into being by doing this. It's one thing to say we want to uh, deal with public or semi-public or group or recommending posts on platforms. It's another thing to say, we want private messaging to be able to be uh, looked at effectively to be scanned on, on the mandate of governments. And even if you have a democratic rule of law government that's doing that, many countries around the world have very different ideas of what they would like things to be scanned for. So when we think about the internet we want, we have to think about our geopolitical role in the world with the online safety bill and the technologies we're calling into being and how that will affect ourselves and the way we communicate going forwards and be very careful to sober ourselves when we get to extremely emotive discussions of child protection because we want to stop these we can't ignore the harm to children but we have to also make sure that focuses on the harm to individual children in particular situations and not be drawn into tech solutionism mm. we have to understand people who are abusing children today which is largely in the home we have to do things around around these and not think that we have a technical fix just because we have the internet now and information is flowing to things that are harms elsewhere. Otherwise, we will do real injustice by effectively an austerity approach, in a way, to child protection. Yeah, so just on that, those tech solutions quickly, Michael, obviously, as, you, as you've mentioned, and, and the, the 2017 Digital Economy Act legislated for age verification, but then the government did not enforce it for various reasons. Do you think it will ever be able to enforce such a, a kind of a provision? Well, I think there are big technical and uh, barriers. I mean, the Digital Economy Act then it gave the, the desire to look over this to the British Board of Film Classification to develop the system effectively and develop the standards. And that organization cannot even, has not have the capacity to even tag everything on Netflix, with, which, which is uh, you know, on streaming services with uh, an age rating because it can't keep up. It also didn't have the mandate to look at any of the privacy challenges, which of which there are many around that kind of system. So it's moved now to age assurance as well, rather than just age verification. But the problem is age assurance has still got a lot of this magical AI thinking, like you'll be able to tell what age a child is by the way they type or hold their phones. 
people share devices, people share devices across their families. People operate in very different ways with the digital environment and people are all children also, as Lord Stevenson said, they are very good at you know, managing and, and looking at how to, to use technology to evade certain things. Yet what we do do there is centralize and manage a lot of the collection of data in order to do that kind of analysis. So I am just very wary that we must be so careful we're not imagining that some magical technology will fix the flaws in a policy. Mm. Because I think with so many parts of the AI, the online safety bill has these big sort of dot, dot, dot question mark sections. This will only work if the technology works. You know, at least as an academic who studies whether machine learning works in practice, these technologies generally do not function as intended. So Alan, I think that you know, it, it, the, and what Michael's saying is is fascinating. And I think two things: one is good to have the debate, and I think for a long time we haven't had the proper debate. And I think people like Michael can help perhaps Parliament and others to have a proper informed debate about what's possible. But the other point underlying all this, of course, is that um, just because we passed the online safety bill, just because there is more content regulated, the fact is that there is still underlying problems with people wanting to uh, to carry out abuse on children. We've seen, and Wilf, I think, was completely right to, to step straight in and say, no, child protection is absolutely critical. We've seen the damaging effects, and we continue to see, of early access to pornography on child development and, and the way children have uh, relationships, uh, for example. Um, one of the other areas the bill we haven't explored is fraud, online fraud. I mean, the fact is that, yes, of course, the technology enables it, but the fact is there are criminals who are wanting to defraud all of us in order to raise money to pay for um, many you know, harmful illegal activities. So the rest of policing, law enforcement, the need for other laws to try to combat behaviours, it's not going to go away just because we are now looking more at how technology has a role in fighting these things. Nick is obviously right there. And I, I could have just had one thing, which I think part of what Michael is saying and, and has been picked up by Nikki is, that, is that, that, that Parliament is also very much behind the curve on this. And there is nowhere in Parliament where we can have an ongoing discussion about this and look across to, on the one side, financial fraud on the other side to the competition side and try and draw together some of the threads and we, we will be pushing very hard and I hope for a lot of support around the house for a much stronger set of parliamentary scrutiny arrangements set up possibly along the lines of the joint committee that is set up for human rights so that parliament can keep itself up to date can look at the proposals that are coming forward can look at the way the technology is changing begin to look at the, the metaverse for instance how do we regulate that if we if we need to do that and also look at the other digital regulators who've got roles here you know we've got a situation where Ofcom is the principal regulator but there's no formal structure and Ofcom can work with for example the financial conduct authority when it's looking at financial fraud surely parliament should have a view on that and and, and try and bring forward some proposals that will solve that sort of gap just before we wrap up then, Michael, as I've heard it sort of suggested that perhaps sometimes MPs and, and, and peers, I've just got two of them on the, on, the, on the line now, are not perhaps the best people sometimes to look at this and essentially that they're, they're, as in their interactions with the internet are different to perhaps some of the areas that they're looking to legislate on and actually that perhaps they're never going to get it because even though they take evidence from people that they're not, their experience of the internet is different to the one that they're trying to legislate for. I think that can be true because I think one of, the, one of the challenges with debating and passing something like the online safety bill, there used to be this phrase, you know, you know uh, in real life, people would say, oh, let's meet IRL in real life, you know, but online life today is real life because these things are so blurred and people live online and also children play online 
in so many multiple ways. And I think they should do, you know, because we have this world, we're building this very interconnected world. And our social interactions are not just people go on a site to communicate, then they go and live the rest of their day offline. In fact, these things are woven in uh, so deeply. And that means there's such a diversity of ways people uh, live and, 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 and exist online. You know, for example, people setting up a hobby forum uh, within a city or a town to have a discussion around, um, uh, you know, around something they have a shared interest on separate from an online platform. The question is, where do they fall under this bill? You know, do they have the ability to start new things that are just community initiatives without relying on a big platform? If they do that, do they suddenly have to put in age verification, age assurance measures and so on, on onto these smaller spaces, which you know, were moderated in a very different kind of way and also do not seem inherently very risky? I think those kind of activities are quite easy to chill out. And those are things that are not always seen by legislators. We have a handful of, of lords that are very tuned in, uh, lords and barons and so on, uh, very tuned in to digital issues, but it's not as many as we should have. I think that needs to be rectified quite rapidly. I'm not sure the best way to do that. Of course, there's lots of discussions about uh, you know, laws reform that are going on in parallel, but definitely when we do that, I, I just would like to note that as an academic, you know, there are various uh, peers and MPs that, that I talk to and are in dialogue with, but it's definitely in the laws, not as many as I would like to see. And you see the same faces come up in the debates and there are welcome faces in those debates. But politics in the future is going to be so much around deciding about how we want to live and how we want to live is so tangled with online, we can't separate these domains out anymore. We have to blur them, merge them together and treat them in the same way. Hmm. Just, just finally, then Nick. Obviously, present company excluded when we were talked about, you know, the, the wrong sort of But you know, so you, you talked about, you know, whether if those companies aren't willing to to make those changes, whether they, do we want them around? Do you, do you get a sense actually that the big tech companies, especially, do you, they they want to fix things? Is there a real desire? Do you think there is perhaps a little bit of lip service to making these changes, or do you think that they actually do want to to improve the way that they act? And and if not, do you think that we need to you know come down on them harder? I suppose. Well, I think the bill makes provisions at the moment to, to come down particularly on hard. I, I just don't know about the tech companies. I mean, you know, they will email us, those of us who are speaking out on the on the bill, and they will ask for meetings and they will say that they welcome regulation, they want to change. And undoubtedly, some actually do. But, you know, the proof will be over the next couple of years about the choices they make in terms of designing platforms, designing features, safety, Obviously, uh, the way that they are going to uh, make money through uh, advertising or uh, the use of, of algorithms, their interactions with Ofcom, for example, how open those are, are, are going to be. I mean, I think there is. it is perfectly possible to have a very um, successful, influential, important internet. I think the platforms are absolutely here to stay. I take Michael's point completely uh, about we talk about online and offline, but actually it's all you know very much one thing. Uh, uh, now and it's going to be uh, going forward. Um, but I think this is an important moment and I, I hope the companies will will respond. I mean, the ultimate thing about, for example, senior manager liability is not to have prosecutions, but to change behaviours and cultures so that actually everybody benefits. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I mean, one of the benefits, not that there are many, of the long time it's taken to get the bill up to the point it is now, is that we have met with just about everybody there is to meet in in the in the big tech world and indeed in, in the in the mid-platform and, and small platform sizes as well. And I would say 99% of them are broadly in favor of what the direction we're going. I also think it's worth pointing out that just about everybody I spoke to had very strong praise for the way Ofcom was measuring up to its task and the way it was meeting people, holding workshops, using sandboxes, all sorts of things that are going to mean that they're getting educated and they're getting to understand better how these technology companies operate and what they can do to work with them, because it will need to be a partnership if we're going to get anywhere on this in a, with any success going forward. So I, I would say two things. For the one, 
these com- some of these companies are bigger than many countries in terms of their GDP and everything else. But we represent quite an interesting problem for them because if we regulate fairly and securely and make it work, it will be the standard to which other countries that are moving perhaps a slightly even slower pace than we are towards it. And that's that's important to bear in mind. You know, what we set, the standards we set here will indeed have an impact on the wider world. And as Nikki says, we'll never see legislation in America, I don't think, on this stuff. And so it will also impact in America. And secondly, I think we can work with them to develop the better strategies for the next time round, as there definitely will be another time. <laughs> right. Well, it's probably a, a good place to, to, to leave it. That's all we've got time for this week, but you can read all the latest on the big stories from Westminster at politicshome.com. And keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right-hand corner of the website. Thanks to my brilliant guests, Baroness Morgan, Lord Stevenson, and Dr. Michael Veal. Our editor today was Laura Silver. Thanks to you all again for listening. Please subscribe to your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, I've been Alan Tolhurst, and this has been The Rundown.